welcome to the Dunces Corner. Once again, this is Dr. Brian Pedraza, and I'm joined by my dear friend and colleague, Dr. John Miner. Chime in. Thanks for chiming in. So, uh, Dr. Miner, the uh, squirrel population has been taking a hit near your house. They lately. keep getting into my greenhouse, and so I've had to trap them and exterminate them. <laughs> <laughs> and eat them. Do you, do you, and eat them. Do you yeah. batter? Batter the you meat? Usually we batter and fry them. That's oh, what we nice. did growing up. Well, I read about relocating squirrels, and apparently you have to relocate them 10 miles away from your house. And Ooh. 95% of them die because they can't find the resources there. So I thought, well, I might as well just kill them myself and eat them. That's right. Might as well. <laughs> Right? You like that deliberation? <laughs> Don't get into this no. greenhouse, folks. Um, we are also joined by Brady. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? You surviving without your fiance? She's in Florida, right? Mm. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. You surviving. Okay. And then, of course, we have Catherine, who's actually bringing the feminine genius to this episode. <laughs> I am. Being the, the sole female of this podcast, I feel it's, it's right. good. You um, have to represent all women here. Yeah, I mean they're all the same. So that's right. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's not my opinion. I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, well, Elise and Ansley are in Florida, and what are they doing, Brady? They are celebrating Ansley's birthday. This was her birthday present. Uh, mm-hmm. They're hanging out with Elise's best friend. What's her name again? Lauren. Uh, Lauren. Daigle. I think it's Daigle. Yeah, she like. Saying at the Super Bowl or something like that. Yeah. I think they basically like... She had a good outfit, too. Yeah. I they, hear from Dr. Winnen. They basically like partied together last night. Oh, nice. No Excellent. Excellent. Cool. And then uh, we are joined for the first time by two new voices. We've got first Hunter. How's Hello. it going? <laughs> going great. Hunter, what's glad to be here. Tell all the folks who are listening what's the coolest thing about you. The coolest thing about me is that there are six dogs at my house currently. Whoa. So wait, it's not his hair? I know. The flowing locks are awesome. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean. But no, that's my go to is that my dogs are much cooler than I am. So I just go with them. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, we're telling you it's the locks, but if you want to say the dog, that's cool. <laughs> Tell Tyler, please. Okay. I will. <laughs> People listening have no idea who Tyler is, but great. <laughs> <laughs> If you hear this, tell Tyler. <laughs> Whichever Tyler you know. That's right. Just the cl- the closest Tyler, Tyler to you, them. please let them know. And then finally, we have Trey. Hello. Hey, Trey. What's the coolest thing about you? I think the coolest thing about me is that I did karate for seven years. Are you a black belt? I am. Ooh, Ooh. So you could dismantle each of us. I could at one point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much anymore. Now you'd have to Now stretch. I'm a nurse. <laughs> so I will simultaneously well, kill you and then... Well, actually, it's come in you. handy a couple of times in the ER because I used to work um, Ooh, as a medical scribe and as a nurse tech in the ER. So I didn't kick or punch anybody, but my quick reflexes definitely came in handy multiple times. That's Were people awesome. trying those- to kick or punch you? Yes. If you've seen anybody on cocaine or heroin or both at the same time, yes. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, uh, folks, Lent is right around the corner. How are you feeling about that? I mean, we're recording this on the Friday before <laughs> the week of Ash Wednesday. So, uh, you know, how's that going? I feel like I'm, I'm, I've, 
thought more about Lent than I have in previous years prior to Lent. So I feel a little more prepared than I usually am. But like, usually it's like, oh yeah, Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras. And then like, right after I'm like, oh, wait, what am I giving up? I don't know. And then it's just instant despair and struggling to find things. Then it comes together. But like, I feel, I feel confident this year. I feel like I kind of know what I'm doing. I feel good. It's not going to be a Tuesday night mad scramble. No, no. Not that I've ever done that before. <laughs> I do that every year. Not that I haven't done that in the past like two <laughs> or three years. I know. Every year it's like Tuesday night. I'm like, okay. Tomorrow I'm going to get ashes and then <laughs> something's going to happen. <laughs> well, I had a friend uh, email me and they live in Washington State, I believe. Hi, Docs, if you're listening. And he wanted to know how to do Mardi Gras right. They wanted to have their first own Mardi Gras celebration. And people don't get it. Like in Louisiana, people, Mardi Gras is like a season. It's mm-hmm. a thing. So what would you say? What would you recommend? How do you do Mardi Gras right? Food. Mm-hmm. Crawfish. It's got to start with food. Oh, yeah. Brady's a master of crawfish. Crawfish. I've experienced it. Is it crawfish season yet? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's it like is. the very beginning. Yeah, Mardi Gras like starts it off. Had two bowls so far. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Two, two what? Two bowls. Two what? Burls. Got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, how about king cake? You got to have king cake. Of Doc- course. Dr. Boria just gave us king cake. We came out of his class. What? In class? Yeah. yeah. He found some somewhere. I forgot Off the where. side of a street. I think he it might have found it in a dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he my, gave it to us. Yeah. My problem with king cake is that a lot of times people will start serving it like two weeks into January. And so, like, for some people, they've been having the same cake for, like, a month now. That's what happens to me every year. I start having it, and I get really excited halfway through January. And by the time Mardi Gras comes around, I don't even want it. You need a king cake progression where you start with the cinnamon. Then you go with the cream cheese. Then the strawberry or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you said it was a problem. You know, one man's weed is another man's flower, Trey. Mm. That's all I got to say. Mm. Brands make a difference as well. That is true. Yeah. Brands that make a everyone huge has difference. Their on that. I yeah. work at a grocery store. Especially if you store. go to New Orleans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's intense. I work at a grocery store and like people, we sell like Party Palace and Kalutas, which both come from like right outside of New Orleans and people like die for those king cakes. It's crazy. And I, I've never had them because, you know, I pay for cake when I can... When you got Circle K down the road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> that, that could be heresy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Brady, the look on your face was awesome. Circle K. I know. I really... It's know. a gas station. Nah, come on. Yeah. They kind have really good coffee. R- really? It's a gas station? Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it. So. <laughs> Rouse's? Rouse's? Is it better? Let's step up, man. That's that's actually several Rouse's steps Rouse's is up. a... Yeah, oh, that's point. several steps, steps up. up. If yeah. you want... A couple of steps. If you want the couple best steps, yeah. king cake... Go to Oak Point. Go to Oak Point. Ooh. Mm. Oh. Okay. What's Oak Point? It's a grocery store. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, Hardest thing you ever gave up for Lent? Cold showers. By far, without a doubt. (laughs) You gave up cold showers? I give up cold showers. (laughs) Wow, you gave up cold showers, Trey. What a sacrifice. (laughs) (laughs) I see. Yes. Giving up a hot shower is by far one of the more, like, whenever... Um, I went to church this past Sunday, and uh, the pastor kind of mentioned, you know, like, Ash Wednesday's next week. I got sweaty palms because I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, no. 
it's getting it, it's happening again yes. you know i kind of had flashbacks from turning on my shower and just building up the mental courage to just run in because yeah. i because whatever whenever you said to me it was like one of the better he was like just find an intention just scream it and run in and that was the only way i could do it <laughs> and my roommate i could see trey in his shower screaming <laughs> <laughs> like i was i would go and i would just be like, Pope Francis! <laughs> and my roommate, I would come out from the shower, and my roommate just had like big eyes, like, Trey, what? <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> yeah. So I and some of the students did a modified version of Exodus 90. We called it Desert Brothers, riffing off the Desert Fathers. And so, yeah, cold showers. Do you like those, Brady? Cold showers were not like the. The hardest part. The hardest part for me was not watching TV, especially mm. during LSU mm. baseball season. Yeah. Mm. That was tough. And then ordering on Sunday, the the thing, like the exemption that we gave each other, right. ordering it towards community as opposed to myself. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It actually took planning. Yeah. yeah, but um, back to the cold showers thing. That was genuinely insightful. No, but well, absolutely <laughs> not. No. Ad- advice on the cold showers? Run in, get wet, exit the water. Yeah, so, that's exactly oh. I was about to ask if you had a methodology. I feel like, I feel like that's Lather. cheating in some way. It's not cheating. Ooh. Lather. Mm, I don't know. Lather, outside, still cold. Actually, mm-hmm. even worse because you're outside of the shower Freezing cold, exited, jump back into the cold you get water. Out of the shower, huh? Yeah, I exit the shower. Like totally. Why wouldn't you just turn uh, the water off? Well, you can, <laughs> or just like yeah, step oh out yeah, from I've done that too. Water. Okay, okay. Yeah, you On step out from the you mean like against the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my method. I yeah. I shivered in the corner, yeah. shampooed and soaped, and then yeah. I dove in to the coldness. Yeah. That's what I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's the thing about a cold showers; it never gets better. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Like maybe I, I could, I got used to the fasting component of our uh, penances, but with regards to the cold showers, it never really got easy. It was like until that last day, it was pretty rough. Did you ever consider not showering? I did for a day or two, and I was like, "This is disgusting," and then I went back to it. Uh. Oh yeah, that totally happened, Catherine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah there are days you're like, I should take. Well, are you like, allowed to substitute hmm. alternate forms of self cleaning? Like As, take a cat bath. Uh, like, can you can you give examples of alternate forms of self cleaning, please? Yeah. yeah, you take a cat bath. Right? Could you, you define a cat bath? You okay? You so lick, you lick yourself. <laughs> no, 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 no. You take a cat bath. You wet a towel. You right. You you know put so it on like, you. So it's like, like you're giving bath yeah, like a sponge thing. bath. So it's yeah. like you're giving yourself a bed bath essentially. Yeah. yeah. I I'm not a nurse. I don't know what that is, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, cat baths. Could you do that? Mm, I suppose. Or is that cheap? That kind of goes against yeah. the spirit. Yeah. You might as well just, yeah. you know? And I, I really feel like there's only so many cat baths you can give yourself before it really gets like... You stink. You start like, to like smell funky. after a while. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if you just like let the smell be your penance and you just didn't that's shower it. for 40 days? It. Well, it would be everybody else's penance as well. Ah, not unless you go into the desert. Mm, that's true, but we were in the Ooh, desert, metaphorically. Creepers, creepers. So, my sophomore year of high school, my teacher challenged us during the week of Holy Week to give up like all technology, including the radio on your vehicle as you're driving. Mm. 
And so when I would drive to school and back, after a week, I started going insane, driving in silence, listening to all the horns and tires and everything. I I got much more angry. I had pretty bad road rage. Really? And, uh, yeah, yeah, because I was focused on everyone and what they were doing and what they weren't doing. Mm-hmm. More importantly, <laughs> not using turn signals. Like, come on, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you use a turn signal every time you I turn? Do. I do. Yes. Like, like every single time yes, you've yes. ever turned. What about whenever you change lanes? Yes, that's what, the worst. <laughs> what about what about whenever you pull up yeah, to your house and you're you're about to turn into well, your I mean, driveway? I mean, we all know there's people who don't really use their turn signal to change lanes, and it frustrates me too. I occasionally use it to get in my driveway if there's another car. But Are you one of those parking lot turn signal people? I am. Oh, oh my <laughs> goodness. That's awesome. I just like, I, mean, if- it's, I don't even think about it. If I'm just about to turn, I'll just flip it on. So is it a matter of you listening to music to purposely dull your anger? Or is it that you're just so used to a cacophony of noise that you started to notice things when it went away? I think, you see, I listen to the radio... I'm like one of those stereotypical teenage kids that just blares his music when he's alone. And so I like to have it on like volume 20 or more. And then... 11. No. (laughs) Right now we all had an image of Hunter with his flowing locks, like singing at the top of his lungs. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is 22. (laughs) Right? Did I nail it? Nail it? Uh, uh, No. But... Um, bop, 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 um. Nope. That one might be before their time. <laughs> <laughs> That's handsome, by the way. It's handsome. Uh, and Gretel? Yes. Uh, <laughs> just saying that Taylor Swift kind of stole the melody from that song. That's all. But anyway, wh- yeah, okay, go ahead. But yeah, so I think <laughs> when that was taken away, I never realized how much I look forward to that. And and yeah, so it was difficult getting adjusted to it and then being able to say that like I don't need it but just wanting it really, really badly. Mm. Silence sounds awesome to me. I was about to say, I love silence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I, I still have a couple more that I thought of. Uh, no meat. Anybody ever gone? Mm. A no Ooh. meat Lent? That was actually kind of mm. kind of rough. I haven't done a no meat Lent, but I did do no meat uh, just as a penance uh, for um, a Marian consecration I was doing. Oh my gosh, I'm so bad at not eating meat because it forces me to like, it was a good penance because it was really difficult for me to like have to be intentional with like, okay, I still need to eat things that are going to nourish my body. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I tried to be creative because I thought I was good at cooking. I ate a lot of beans. I tried to make burritos with beans, but like it was, I'd like get a tortilla and I'd put like refried beans on it and I'd be like, hmm, what else can I add to this? So, you know, like jazz it up, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd put spinach on it. Ooh, that's nice. And then I wanted to make it more colorful. So I made eggs and I put that on. And then I made, I didn't make the salsa, but I just got salsa. And I just put it on. I think I put carrots on it too. You did. Oh, that yeah. made it weird. You sent me yeah. a picture eggs, of it. Eggs, beans, like, salsa, oh you're gosh. okay. You're still closer. But yeah. carrots, you kind of. Mm, yeah. Well, because I, I thought the carrots would go with the spinach, but I ate it. I took like two bites and I was like, I shouldn't cook. This is like, <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't make things. But that was, no meat was definitely really hard. And it made me appreciate, I don't know, just all the options I have to eat. But yeah. Ugh. I think like meat is just something that's so central to like an American diet. Mm-hmm. It's just like an like an almost every 
every meal, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, we're having some sort of meat, whether it's like breakfast sausage. And it's just like, it's, and that's just not always how it was. You know, like meat was at one point seen as like a, like a celebratory, like, oh my gosh, like, uh, it's Christmas, it's Easter, like, let's go have some meat. But like now it's just something that's so, um, so, so ordinary and just like accustomed to the diet. Like it's, it's really hard to get rid of. Yeah. And I'm such a carnivore. I mean, I would eat meat and only meat if I could. I think I'd be okay with that. There's an actual diet called the carnivore diet. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Nice. Mm. Awesome. Life is a T-Rex. <laughs> Sounds great. As a transition to the main topic, so I was remembering that, so the first year I went to college, I was a freshman at this small school in California, and was just starting to grow in my faith, and thanks be to God, he planted a Carmelite friar there named Father Thomas, he's my spiritual director today, um, an amazing holy man, and it was such a gift to be there. And as we approached Lent that year, I remember him saying something about St. Leo the Great, um, a sermon that he gave about Lent. And it was the first time, it's going to sound so simple, but it was the first time that I had ever thought about what Catholics should be doing for Lent in a way that was like, oh, you mean like there's, there's like a real point to this thing? Like I'm actually supposed to be thinking about this? And I actually pulled uh, a little bit from that sermon. So, St. Leo says, our fast does not consist chiefly of mere abstinence from food, nor are dainties withdrawn. I don't know which English translator, what the word actually was for dainties. Look that up in Latin. Sounds British. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dainties withdrawn from our body. And we've taken app- away our spot of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'd go for some dainties right now. Um, okay. Nor are dainties withdrawn from our bodily appetites with profit. Unless the mind is recalled from wrongdoing and the tongue restrained from slandering. This is a time of gentleness and long-suffering, of peace and tranquility, when all the pollutions of vice are to be eradicated and continuance of virtue is to be attained by us. And I remember Father Thomas telling me about this, and it was like, wait, Lent is supposed to be about holiness? I'm I'm supposed to pick the things that I'm doing to like eradicate sin and grow in virtue. And it sounds so simple, but it was like earth shattering to me because up to that point, when I did care about Lent, it was kind of like, oh yeah, I guess I got to give up something. Mm, No sweets, whatever, you know, that sort of a thing. But without any, not much thought about my own spiritual life, my own progression in holiness or virtue. So I don't know, it just kind of really shook me up and started to get me thinking about other ways, more fruitful ways of approaching Lent. So, I figured, with Lent around the corner, we should have an episode about how to make the most of Lent. So... Is that what we're doing here? Yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> have an excellent. Get it? Ooh, get it? That was... <laughs> dad that jokes. Was, yeah, I got them left yeah. and right. Yeah, I'm a dad. <laughs> that was... Thank you. Thank you very much. But uh, Dr. Miner, you actually wrote an article that um, was published by Notre Dame's Church Life Journal, entitled, 
can we feast unless we fast? And I love this article, to be honest, man. Like, mm. When I read it, I was like, this is dang good. Huh. Like, this needs more play, you know? We got to get get this out here some more. So, I actually wanted to talk about it. Um, so, at the beginning of the article, you mentioned this book, uh, this novel that you had been reading in mm-hmm. which a priest returns from a time in the wilderness. Apparently, he nearly starved to death. Yeah, he was a missionary. And then he... Canada. Uh, is welcomed and has this uh, dinner and he's enjoying the the food and the fellowship. And um, he says something about how only after having gone through something that he went through, would he be able to appreciate this sort of a thing, which seems to be um, one of the key points of what you're trying to get at in this article. I mean, why, why is it that going without for some reason can open someone up to actually appreciating one of the goods that God has given us. I'm not entirely sure, honestly, why we become so inured to something good we have, but it seems to be like a unique inability of humans to adequately rejoice and enjoy something that is readily accessible and securely held. Like once we have something that we don't think we'll lose and we have it every day, it's like, boop, I no longer enjoy this thing. Mm. Mm. It's an odd fact of human psychology and I am not sure why that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about economics right now. Diminishing marginal utility, is that what they call that? Anybody remember economics? I think marginal return. Yeah, Diminishing marginal return, I think. Yeah, it's like the more you get something over and over again, the more you're like... "Eh." Don't really want that yeah. thing. The or more you workers you add, their value starts to slowly, like the cost of having them versus what value they give to the company starts. The margin starts decreasing. Mm-hmm. It increases at first and then it just slowly decreases. Oh, mm-hmm. that one's kind of intense. I wasn't thinking so much about that. It's more like oh. the consumer, uh, sort of like the, the ubiquity of goods that are created, right? Like you have something once and you're like, Oh man, that was great. And then if you get access to it over and over again, you're sort of like, hmm, I don't know if I dig this so much. You know, like the McDonald's McRib thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or like the first time I had ramen in college and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing. And then I kept right. having it and I was like, ah, oh, this isn't that good. <laughs> right. Well, actually, I remember talking about this phenomenon in our psychology classes that there's actually, um, there's a principle in that like, if we're, and our, like our bodies do this naturally. Like if we're constantly exposed to a specific stimulus, our body will start to not recognize that. So it's like if I leave my hand on the table for 10 minutes, I'm not going to feel like my hand is on the table anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like if I, people who are laying in, people who are bed bound in the hospital, they forget what it feels like to actually move because they're just constantly being exposed to that stimulus. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a similar uh, phenomenon that, I mean, that's at least what I would think. Like, it would be a psychological influence. Yeah, into yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But there, there's something really insightful about this because um, the first time I did like a no shower, uh, no warm shower thing with Exodus ninety, I remember uh, I had an exemption one day, and I'd been a long time since I had a warm shower, and that exemption just for that day, I was like, I'm, it's going to be a warm shower today. And I remember stepping in and like totally wasn't premeditated, but I just said, 
oh, thank you, Jesus. Like, and it was like a genuine prayer, like mm-hmm. from my heart. And then I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, like going without this thing for so long, I realized like, this, this is like an awesome thing that God has really given me as simple as it is having a warm shower, you know, and just uh, the effect of going without it. It's really powerful. Um, another thing that I was thinking about is y- you've got this really punchy line, which I think is, um, I think it's phenomenal. In a fundamental sense, it is God and the world or nothing. Hmm. We either prepare ourselves for the he- heavenly kingdom and ipso facto learn to enjoy this world, or we do neither. A lot of people at face value would be like, what? Yeah. That is like God or nothing, or God or the world. Right. But you say it's God and the world or nothing. What did you mean by that? I mean, it's relatively punchy because if you think about the history of Christian asceticism, the contrast between God and the world is like shot through the whole thing. That... In some sense, we go without the things of this world so that we can focus on God. So, it it seems to set up a dichotomy between food and God or marriage and God or doing your own want- wishes and doing God's wishes or something like that. Um, and that can be carried too extreme and that's where you get to like Gnosticism where there's like a real hatred for this world. And I think a lot of people confuse uh, like authentic catholic asceticism with gnosticism that it's somehow rejecting the goodness of this world Mm. but if you think about if you think about the way god and the world relate properly or in like a deeply catholic and sacramental way there's not really a competition there and there never has been right it's not as if um, my love for god and my love for my neighbor are in competition or my love for god and my love for food or anything like that if you look at what your neighbor is who your neighbor is or what food is or what marriage is or anything in this world, right? They were created by God and ordered back toward his glory. So, if you actually want to love that thing the way it is, you have to love it for God. Otherwise, you don't even get it, right? And so, either I love that thing for God and I train myself to do so or I, and I, by that very fact, I get God and I get the thing. Or I I do neither of them, right? When I love the thing for me, or I love it disordered way, I don't even get the thing as it really is, because it's not ordered to God anymore. So that's, I mean, that's the fundamental kind of Augustinian Thomistic approach is that because God's goodness is participated in by created realities, I either love them for what they are, and therefore love them for God as gifts from God, and is glorifying him, or I don't. And so, I I lose what I even wanted to have in this world. I mean, that's the great irony, is we spend our entire lives trying to, like, grasp the things of this world, thinking that they're going to fulfill us, and ignoring God. And we, in grasping for them that way, we lose the very things we thought would fulfill us. Yeah, that's it's really powerful. I was just about to say that too. It just seems like this is um a beautiful Augustinian insight offered in this Thomistic key, you know? Like I I in my introduction to theology classes, uh towards the beginning of the semester, I have my students read this chapter um about G.K. Chesterton's favorite pub, you know, and how Chesterton was able to find God like in this place. And sort of the 
you might say, dominating Protestant ethos that's present in our country, whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic Christian, I think we're still affected by it. It's just kind of like, no, what? Like, that's not good. Like, like bad stuff happens in pubs. Right. Like, that God's not there, that sort of a thing. It really, you, we have to overcome this God or the world sort of thing. And I see it in my students when they start raising mm-hmm. questions about it. But then they also see something that, that there's something incredible about it too, because I think they all can acknowledge like, you know, when I think about it, my favorite food or a conversation with a good friend, you know, like the last time you had like a really deep belly laugh with friends, you know, and you're just kind of like, there was something really mm-hmm. like genuine about mm-hmm. that moment. Maybe there is something of God there, you know? So I, I, I just think it's uh, a really awesome thing that you're telling us here in this article. And it, it gives, um, I don't know what's a good way to put this, but it sort of takes that, myopia that I was stuck in uh, as a college student, first thinking about Lent, where just like, oh, I guess I just give up stuff because. Right. And it makes this even bigger, right? Because what you're offering here is a vision of all of creation, where it's like, we're, we're like literally swimming in these gifts of God, and all of these created goods um, for each person are ordered in a certain way to God. And it, it's a hierarchy, right? There's a hierarchy of goods. Some goods are more important than other goods. Um, and I guess the incredible thing is, you know, as, as we're thinking about Lent, really, uh, it seems your suggestion is we need to think about the way that we're relating to those goods yeah. that are around us all the time. I mean, that's the whole point of Christian asceticism is to in its most ancient key is it's a, it's the Greek word for athletic training. It's training. It's what it is. Lent's a training season for how you love. It's trying to love better. And then it's finding those parts in your life where you love in a disordered way and trying to fix it. So it's really helpful to think about. I remember I had a, one of the, when I first came back to practicing the faith, I got like super serious, like desert father serious. <clears throat> About penance. And it was not really well ordered. It was just serious, right? So, I was like not eating all the time and sleeping on the floor and like, you know, doing crazy stuff. And I remember I had a breakthrough at one point when I started studying virtue ethics, basically that penance wasn't meant to be there just simply as like an odd sense of like, I have to like destroy myself or something. It's there as a training. And so, I have to target my penance to my actual disease, right? So, if I'm not like overly attached to a bed or to eating or something like that, which I'm not, I probably shouldn't do those penances. It's not going to be as helpful for me as, for example, I struggling with like um, vainglory, right? I had years where I, what I would give up for Lent is mentioning myself in conversation. I'd never brought myself up. It was so hard. I bet. <laughs> because if you're inclined to vain glory, that's like what you do. It's like, oh, you've been doing this thing. Well, I've been doing this thing, you know, like tell me <laughs> about myself. Um, but it just becomes so, so much more meaningful if you think about penance as a way of training the way you love. I had a disordered love for myself and for my own honor. And so, you target it and it simultaneously sucks way worse, uh, but is also better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
In in the article, you mention um, four ways that we might be related to any given created good. So I'll just go down the list. Yeah, you better read them because I don't remember. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, number one, you could there could be a good that you seek in a disordered, uh, sinful way, and so. <laughs> That'd be a great reason to give that up because <laughs> right. you're going after it in a disordered way. Two, um, a good you think you might be seeking in a disordered way is how you put it. Um, and giving it up would sort of be a test for you to see whether you it actually, whether you had some sort of disordered attachment to right. it. Third, a good you seek, uh, but you don't appreciate it fully. So maybe as an opportunity to try and appreciate it more. Once yeah, it's like it's not like a shower is disordered, right? If I, I'm pre- my wife thinks showers are very much well ordered every day. <laughs> Those are very important parts of human life. Uh, yep. Apparently, I smell bad if I don't shower. <laughs> That's usually how it works. One one Lent I did back in my crazy phase. I read this book by Rumor Godden, which if you're interested in the monastic life, it's a fantastic novel. It's called In This House of Breed. And the the sisters there, um, they don't take showers. They just give themselves like sponge baths. So, I was like, oh, I'll do that. And I smelled awful. And thinking about penance and community is also important. <laughs> There you go, Catherine. The cat bath. No, yeah, cat bath. Yeah. Not gonna, work. Yeah. That's what my spiritual director told me once. He was uh-huh. like, "John, you cannot make Katie eat bread all day for Lent." <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever sit on top of a pole for multiple days at a time? No, but I definitely thought about it. I, bet I just did. couldn't find a pole. You know, it's kind of hard to find them. Yeah. When's the last time you saw a pole with a sufficiently <laughs> large um, platform platform to sleep? I don't think the Desert Fathers carried about the platform. They're just on the pole, right? No, they had a platform. You have to have a platform. Yeah. I mean, Wait. otherwise you'd fall asleep and like die. Trey, Wee. you're a nurse. You should know. Yeah. Wait, I thought they just like set up shop just sitting on the. Nope. All right. We're going to move on. Well, I, I, <laughs> honestly, I imagine like Simon the Stylus uh, having some kind of platform on the top because otherwise you'd just involuntarily fall asleep at some point and mm-hmm. fall off the pole. That's why I thought it was so insane. He's usually depicted with like a platform. There you go. Gotcha. Just balancing on one foot. That's right. Time. For 40 years. St. Simon just <laughs> lost esteem in Trey's eyes. It's like, what? Well, you had a platform. I'm kidding. I mean, <laughs> I thought there was more like divine intervention, like keeping him upright on the oh, pole. keeping him balanced. It's possible. That's possible. It's yeah. certainly possible. Right. Yeah. This is really helpful because... Um, I think I remember uh, after my first year of college, then I started to really grow in my faith and then I transferred and I was at a school that had a very thriving and dynamic Catholic community. I would not say that my way of understanding the spiritual life was very ordered, right? So, like you, when you have that initial fire, you're all gung-ho, you see everybody doing all of these ascetic practices and praying, and you think that 
holiness is just a matter of imitating those things. So, you know, I remember it was like, oh, I'm going to pick like the worst hour for a holy hour. Yeah. And that's going to be my holy hour or whatever. That's but in undergrad, thing. it's like 4 a.m. <laughs> right. Or maybe yeah. 5. Yeah. yeah. Well, Waking up that early. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use the kneeler at mass. I'm not going to do that. I'm going right. to, you know, it's mm-hmm. like you go crazy, but there's nothing is, it's not really ordered. I wasn't like aiming at something. It was just like, that right. sounds hard. I guess I'll do it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's even easy to become scrupulous by doing that. Because, you know, if you have a, a litany of, if you come up with too too many things to either give up or to do, like, it can become very scrupulous to be like, okay, well, I have to do this, this, and this, and this, and you forget the reason that you're doing them in the first place. And they're right. no longer <laughs> leading you towards God. They're kind of just keeping you closed in on yourself and be like, okay, well, I have to be sure I do this, this, and this, and mm-hmm. forgetting the end of it, which is to grow into a greater relationship with Jesus. It can feel more like a punishment of yeah. like, you know... Uh, yeah, holding yourself back, being like, and then you beat yourself up if it's like, oh, I didn't, you know, do X, Y, and Z today, you know, and I said, like, I had this whole laundry list of things that I was going to do. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could totally see scrupulosity being one of the things and beating yourself up being one of the things. But I mean, I don't even think I was there to even know what scrupulosity was. I was just like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do all this stuff because I guess that's what it means to be holy. Like it was totally, there was no order, like nothing, it wasn't yeah. ordered to anything really. So I, I think that's why I appreciate um, this understanding of the spiritual life so much. Um, fine. Did we get to the fourth? I think no. there's one more category. So the fourth category is a good that you're actually, you're not seeking sinfully and you do fully appreciate it, but nevertheless, you might give it up, you say, because it would remind you of your true home, which is only in God. Right. So, even if you do fully appreciate your shower every day, I mean, it doesn't hurt to remind yourself. I mean, this is the whole point of monasticism. It's not to deny the goodness of this world or even to train yourself to enjoy it, but to give things up precisely because they're good so that you can focus more on something else. So, in that category, you wouldn't put like showers because it's not like your shower every day takes away from your time focusing on God or praying. But something you do... Right? Maybe it's watching TV with a friend or something, and it's well-ordered. You only do it every once in a while. It's a good community-building thing. You might give that up and just spend that time in prayer instead. Mm. You all should read Willa Cather, though. Mm. That's the author I used at the beginning. Her novel, Shadows on the Rock, is fantastic. She has another novel called uh, Death Comes for the Archbishop, which is like, it's probably the best literary depiction i've seen of true friendship and it's it's so moving Mm. yeah it's it's about a missionaries it's a priest and a bishop who are friends Mm. yeah i think the as i was listening to dr minor explain the that understanding of penance it kind of reminded me a lot of the franciscans and the way that saint francis ordered his rule you know i and i and i remember that um, I remember talking about it in class and the one of the key marks of the Franciscan way of life was to own as little as possible, like radical poverty. <laughs> and then right. to fight with other Franciscans about who owns less. <laughs> <laughs> That's an important part of the Franciscan life. Right. Tor- yeah. Not not initially in the beginning, but as it, as it grew a little bit bigger, yes, it, it got to that. Um, but I think Francis was definitely getting at what he i don't think that's what he intended was everybody to have competitions as who could own less but i think his his uh, the stimulus for that was to rid the brothers 
um, of anything that would keep them from God, right? And in a and in a seeking to grow in greater dependence on God, right? So it wasn't. So I think Francis can sometimes be interpreted on. Um, he gave up everything because, like, like having money is bad and having a a nice house is bad. Like that's what that's not why he gave it all. That's not why he gave it all up. I mean, he gave it all up for the sake of growing in a greater dependence and a relationship to Jesus through it. And that's something that he tried to teach his brothers. Um, and like I, I think that's one of the marks of the Franciscan uh, spirituality is is cultivating that detachment through physical possessions, but at the same time through that. Like, kind of like what you said, like, they're not bad in and of themselves. And even though you may enjoy them rightly, like, to still offer it up and to still live in a very, yeah. um, a very detached position with regards to what you have in order to give more time and more dependence to God, the one who gave them to you in the first place. Right. Yeah. There's a real, there's a real, um, deep truth there that Francis discerns about the reality of the Christian life. And that's that the reality of the Christian life, no matter what your state in life, whether you're a monk or a priest or something, is always a participation in the cross, mm-hmm. right? So, that sense of deprivation, that sense of going without, that sense of um, greater abandonment to God is is really what the entire Christian life's about. And the our penance is our participation in the cross. It's It's not like Oh, I'm either training to love deeper or I'm participating in the cross. Those are the same thing, right? Was and then it, you simultaneously become a Eucharist in some sense, right? This is what the martyrdom spirituality was, right? By giving these things up, or it's like a small martyrdom and I offer that to God and my entire life becomes a Eucharist like the cross is. I mean, there's there's just like Francis discerned that and it's it's such a beautiful consonance. And I think even in reading about Francis, you can see how like he would be beaten up or like turned away and like he would find immense joy in it. Right. He would either <laughs> he'd be like he'd go to the house and he'd ask to go in, they'd say, No, close the door, and he'd turn to his brothers and be like, Gosh, praise God. And it's like, you're freaking yes. mad. <laughs> That's what right? I wanted but I to think, happen. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think like speaking to that, like I think there's a real sense of he saw that as offering himself up. That's right. Like as his as his own like to become a a Eucharist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think he's just somebody that I've always kind of thought about whenever discerning Lent or discerning, um, discerning, you know, what am I attached to? What are, what are the habits that I have that are keeping me from being disciplined? He's kind of the person I kind of go back to for that reason, just mm-hmm. of the way that he, the, his perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why that story of perfect joy of St. Francis is actually my favorite St. Francis story, even though I don't talk about it a whole lot. But it's um Is that the one where he gets beat up by robbers? Yeah, he and his brother are walking, uh, a brother in the order, and the brother keeps on asking him like what perfect joy would be. And Francis keeps on giving answers about like if this bad thing would happen and this bad thing would happen. And he says, ultimately, if um you know, we made this long journey through the cold and we were hungry and we were shivering, we finally showed up at the door of a friary and we knocked on the door all night and no one answered the door. And then finally somebody answered the door and they said, go away. And he says, <laughs> that brother would be perfect joy. You and told it, that story uh, yeah. so much better than yeah. I did. Yeah, which is like, <laughs> but, but it's so shocking, right? Like, I, I think at first blush, people are like, what? 
<laughs> like so is he just uh you know kind it, of think it, he's crazy yeah like oh my gosh like nobody nobody would respond like that yeah but but what you said trey it really taps in i think to the heart of francis like remember his call uh happens in front of the crucifix right the crucified christ and he had that that he has that beautiful prayer before the crucifix there's something about experiencing the love of Christ in his sacrifice that sort of cuts to the very core of who Francis is. Mm-hmm. And it it shows, you know, this side of the fall, love demands sacrifice. It necessarily comes with sacrifice. Um, and I think that's really telling, too, even for understanding our Lord. Because, you know, somebody could ask, Jesus has perfect humanity. Why did he live such an ascetic life? Right, he's perfectly ordered to all of the goods. So why why did he need to li- live such an ascetic life? That sort of a thing. But when you think about his life being ordered to that sacrifice of the cross, and he knew it, right? I, I, and the recent reading from Mark's gospel, um, where he's telling the disciples that he's going to go through with it, and Peter was like, "Heck no," you know, and. Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, it's it's powerful that it's in uh in Mark, which you know many people think is the earliest gospel, whether that's true or not, you know, we'll leave for another day or something. But um the fact that it's there and it's clearly a rebuke of the leader of the Christian community, which, you know, as far as historical criteria goes, that means it was, it happened, right? You don't just leave that in there if you're coming up with stuff. Hey so, guys, check it out. Our leader, he kind of sucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so it shows you that Jesus actually knew that his life was going to be one of sacrifice. And he was thinking about that and his life was ordered toward that. And so the cross in, in many ways is sort of, um, you know, mounting his throne. It's, it's, it's a symbol of him teaching us, right? This, this is, right. um, the heart of the teaching life. That's Christ the teacher, you know, on the cross. And Francis really tapped into that and, his way, his way of living the Christian life and his spirituality is therefore one of utter dependence. Right. Yeah. And I think taking that perspective and applying it to even the, even like what we did for uh, bro- uh, Desert Brothers, you know, taking that perspective and be like, yeah, like this, while I, I wasn't very good at it most of the time, but taking it and be like, I'm going to offer up this cold shower, this good thing so that I can, I can, um, I can feel the, ache that there is without it, you know, to remind me of it. And I think Dr. Meyer even talks about that in his article Article at some point. It was like, you give this up to recognize the ache and the hole that it's left to greater appreciate it, you know? And that kind of, that elevates and that kind of, that's what got, that's what I just kept thinking about over and over and over again, taking cold showers every night, not eating as much, no TV, no internet, like all that kind of stuff. It was it was really hard, but it was something to be like, I'm going to choose this, but not out of like to say all those things are bad, but to to be able to enter into this space where I can greater appreciate their goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that I would ever recommend this, but I uh, had some friends who wanted to do like the Francis style uh, uh, spiritual way. So, I think it was like a spring break or something and they like flew to uh, another state with no money and mm-hmm. no return ticket. And it was like, <laughs> we're just going to trust on God, trust God to get us back. The Jesuits do that as part of their formation. Do they really? Yeah, they they stick you in a city and they give you five bucks. 
And you have to make it to another city across the country. (laughs) No. Some of them cheat and like stay with other Jesuits and stuff, but some of them don't. (laughs) (laughs) I get, I mean, that definitely makes you appreciate Mm -hmm. a lot of things more, but like, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Ow. And you do it in community, which makes yeah, it a little easier. That's true. If you were alone, that would really And I think that's also like another component that's like super crucial to like whenever you're doing like like hard serious penances like that to not do those by yourself. Yeah. Cuz I think there was that was one aspect of the and I and I keep bringing up the Desert Brothers, but that was an aspect of the Desert Brothers that we weren't journeying alone like man was not made to be alone like we were journeying together um all like kind of committed to the same penances, but we were able to like hold each other kind of accountable and also in balance yeah. with one another, which I think is super easy <laughs> if you do it by yourself to go way off the deep end mm-hmm. and to become very oh yeah negative, yeah. like yeah. to to become have a ne- very negative view on the things that you're giving up. Yeah, I mean, I I attempted something last Lent. Uh, called Fiat. It's like the women version of Exodus. And we had a group of us doing it, but we weren't really doing it in community. And I mean, it was so easy to fall into this kind of pit of despair where it was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing so bad. I'm so alone. No one else is struggling. Everyone else is doing great. And I'm just stuck here, you know, feeling like I can't even, um, you know, do like a Friday fast. And then the focus becomes on you. Then the focus becomes on like, I'm not strong enough to do this and not I am giving up this stuff and I'm sacrificing this stuff in order to learn how to love better and in order to order my stuff um, more rightly. Uh, So, yeah, I think community also helps you kind of put everything in perspective and to have it not be so inwardly focused like we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier. Yeah, it's a nice little microcosm of the entirety of what Christian life is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's not just for like Desert Brothers or Fiat. You're supposed to have a community of people with whom you're journeying, right? In the broadest sense, this is the church, but we all need like sub-communities mm-hmm. of people who know you well enough to tell you you're being delusional yes. in a way that doesn't belittle you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like <that's, laughs> yeah, Very yeah, loving. Yeah, yeah. Lovingly, that's right. Lovingly right. chastising. Yeah, that's right. Where you really, you're entrusting yourself to the other person and they're doing the same to you. And so you can call each other back to your shared goal. I mean, you're really not going to, Holiness is you'll never very rarely achieve it alone. Yeah. Just like the um the original Desert Fathers, right? I mean, after a while the monastic communities started to condemn the people who were like, I can go be like Anthony mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. just gonna go out there and do it myself. And they're like, I mean, no, a lot of people you've, did you've go do crazy. It. Yeah, you've got to yeah. do it in community. First, and it was interesting. You know, yeah, if really, you're yeah. ever going to make it to right. the anchoritic life, you you've got to be trained for years, right? Mm-hmm. Years in community. Yeah, that was something I found really interesting. That kind of like like you're saying, like they would they would have to spend so many years engaging in community and living with another one before living with others before they were even commissioned to be like you're even able to right. go out and do this. Right. And even whenever they did go out and do that, they still had like somewhat annual like i don't know if you're said like how many times they would meet up the all the anchorites would meet up together and then disperse Is right well, so they'd often meet every sunday to celebrate the eucharist mm-hmm. right so at least once a week they would see other people and this is where the carthusians are um, an interesting reassertion of the anchoritic ideal in the 11th century because they have they live in community but they also live in cells 
right? So the great majority of their day, they're, they're alone in silence. And then they have like one hour of social time and then social prayers. So it's an interesting combination of the community and the kind of, um, classical ideal of the individual monk out in the, out in the desert, like seeking God's face. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how we, uh, yeah, it's interesting how we connect like penance uh, often to monastic communities, but, but it's because they're living it out and they, they do it so regularly. I know. The rest, but I mean, really every, I think I said this earlier, but asceticism is the principles of it and what we do, like the prayer, fasting, almsgiving are universal for every Christian vocation, but they're going to look a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. So, then you have like priestly spirituality and monastic spirituality and lay spirituality and stuff like that. So, it's going to be different. I mean, That's why you don't make your wife eat bread. <laughs> Even I eat bacon for breakfast. <laughs> I hope Father Rock doesn't listen to this. <laughs> I think the chances are slim. They are pretty slim. Yeah. They are pretty slim. But yeah, it, yeah. Even if you look at like concrete penances, they'll appear differently in monastic and um, like married life. But they end up being producing the same kind of spiritual fruit. So, yeah. And it's interesting that you can adapt the similar spiritual dispositions to different, right. You know, like, um, physical realities. So like, um, you know, like me, I'm, I'm in nursing school. I'm going to be a nurse. Like there isn't a possibility for me every hour to take 10 minutes to like, to do some sort of spiritual exercise, like sit down and do it. That's just impossible with the reality of my job. Right. Right. But I can, in a different way, constantly throughout the day, be mindful of the Lord and my patience. Right. So that could be, that's a, it's the same, it's the same spiritual disposition, but it's a totally different living right. out right. according to where I am right now in my life. And I think that's something that's, yeah, it's just something like super, it makes it more attainable. Mm hmm. To people who aren't monks and aren't priests and aren't sisters to be like, oh, like, um, I can have similar spiritual dispositions, right. even if I'm not in a convent or a monastery. Right. Yeah. I often think about having children. When I talk to people who are discerning priesthood or religious life, that's what they think they're giving up as children. And in some sense they are. Um, but that same kind of penance is also true of the married life. As soon as you have a child, you realize that they are not yours. And so like parenting is just like this long process of giving up your children, which happens also in the monastic life in like a more immediate and direct way. But it also happens in the married life. I mean, that's the whole point of parenthood is that this is a separate person. I'm called the shepherd and they do things that really bother me. I clearly don't have control here. Uh, So, I'm going to give them up every day, you know, and then you ultimately give up your spouse, right? Mm -hmm. Someone has to watch the other person die, unless you die together in like a fiery car wreck or something, or you commit suicide together like Romeo and Juliet, but I don't recommend that. Um, But someone has to (laughs) give up (laughs) tangents. Someone does have to give up the other spouse, right? So, monastic spirituality, you give up married life. Married people also give up married life eventually, right? So, there's this like long death. That's the, I mean, that's the cross. It's like a long death and resurrection through every aspect of your life. It's not... It's not a different as it's not different qua asceticism. It's just different in a state of life, 
we've gotten to this weird thing where we think like, oh, the monastics, they're like supposed to be holy and stuff. And then the rest of us kind of suck and it's okay. Sometimes I want that. You know, you want that too. I want like a pass because I'm lay. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get the pass. Like I'll just do the, you know, the minimums. And we've seen enough monastic reforms to know that what the truth is. Yeah, right. (laughs) I will say having kids is like a training in the works of mercy, right? Oh, yeah. Clothe the naked, feed the hungry. Yeah, these kids can't even read yet. Yeah. What the heck? It really is. I mean, the challenge, though, is I always visit them when I put them in timeout. Right. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) check it out, visiting the imprisoned. Go over there and sit down. (laughs) What do you think a crib is? That's right. I mean, it's a a jail. (laughs) Portable ones called packing place. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, the challenge for a parent is um, seeing Christ in your child when you're doing it. That's <laughs> that's a challenge for a nurse too. Yeah, sure. That's a big challenge, yeah. especially for a nurse if they're too. trying to punch you. If they're trying to punch you, they have which kids do also. They have, <laughs> they have urine, feces everywhere, and you have to go in and clean them up and get the room back back in order. It's You're like, ready to be a that's, dad. Yeah, that's, yeah, like that's preparation for. That's I was about like to say that kind of sounds like being a parent. Yeah, yeah. but um, but no, it's like they're cuter you, though, so it helps. Yeah, the patients are cute. That is yeah. that, does, <laughs> that does make a big deal. That does make a big deal. But also yeah. adults are usually very appreciative because they're That's like, true. they recognize, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Da, da, da. And so they recognize like, thank you so much for right. cleaning me up. Right. It's like they're, they they know that they're in a place of like vulnerability, yeah. extraordinary vulnerability. Yeah. Does somebody else wipe your butt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Brady, you got something cooking in there? I see the wheels turning. I just want to make sure I give you a shot before I moved on. No, I was just, I was thinking about we were reflecting on holiness and the aesthetic life and all of those things. But when I read the article, it really made me think about Israel and think about Israel wandering in the desert and like God calling to his bride constantly. And like Christ being on the cross is a call to us as his bride, like to be able to give up things so that we could love Christ better so that we could love the world better. And uh, oh, I like man. I like G.K. Tes- Chesterton. You talked about the uh, the sacramentology of the world and the different things about everyday life that we run into that we don't even recognize God in. When we give up things in Lent, it just it's things that hold us back from being able to like love God like a true spouse loves their lover, like to actually like yeah. be able to go to adoration and look God in the eyes and be like, wow. I actually love you a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah, it's it's a, cool. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Mike. Go ahead. It's a, I mean, that's the perfect kind of motivation. And I used to have, I stopped doing this since then, a little kind of, it reminds me of the Eastern Hesychus kind of spiritual practice of repeating the Jesus prayer. I used to do it during Lent. Whenever I was having a difficulty in giving up whatever it was or like dealing with that, I would just picture the Lord before me and Asking me, like, do you love me more than these? And I'm like, son of a, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know? But it makes it a really powerful thing. Like, I'm, do do I love him more than this? It's like a test, but it's also a training. Yeah. I mean, it's like going to confession. It changes your whole outlook. Yeah. Because you're in there and you're like, you're asking God for forgiveness. But in actuality, you're asking your spouse, like, do you forgive me for the things I did to you? I cheated on you. I didn't give you time. All of those things that we see broken marriages about. When even in my own relationship with God, I have a broken marriage. 
mm. that I'm not trying to mend. And that's what the whole season's about to me. I was just going to go meta because I was <laughs> impressed that you actually were putting together this various spiritual senses by saying that because, yeah. you know, the allegorical sense, obviously, in reading Israel in the desert and then reading Christ in the desert. But then you're a man who's preparing for marriage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what the beauty of the spiritual senses is sometimes we think of them as on parallel tracks, but like they actually, the allegorical one becomes the foundation for mm -hmm. the moral sense, how it plays out in your life as someone who's preparing mm -hmm. for marriage. And so you started applying it to that marital imagery. I was like, oh, that's nice. That's nice. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you yeah. just, just take it one more step, man. And you, heaven, the, uh, the the feast of the you know the bridegroom the wedding in heaven and you're good to go. That was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I let's call you it's Little Origin. <laughs> little Origin. That's, yeah, dude. That's Brady's street name. Hey, Little Origin. It's L I L I L. Yeah, yeah, Origin. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Little Origin. <laughs> <laughs> Writing that new commentary in the Song of Songs. Oh my god. Um, does, it, does, it, does it fit your knuckles, Brady? I'm gonna have it on all of my knuckles, but I. Even like preparing a marriage, like I feel like like doing like getting married is is beautiful and everything, but like all of the extra stuff that society pushes on marriages, it's like so extra and so like too much. But like, yeah, I'm starting to realize that the celebration at the end, like the reception after the marriage, like at first I was kind of like, oh, let's not go too much or too overboard or anything like that. But like, as long as we can make the reception point towards. Jesus in some sort of way, I feel like you're actually hitting the point. Yeah, dude. That's very Louisiana. Come on, I'm, you gotta go, go big. You need, you, you, yeah. you, yeah. Yeah, you big. need people, you need food, and you need music, and it's gonna be good. It doesn't matter where it is yeah. or what it looks like. Sounds like Marty. Well, I will say this Louisiana, <laughs> yeah. that's just about any place you yeah. go. I mean, that's there like, is yeah. that real Louisiana's an awesome place because there is still that kind of very Catholic sense of celebration of the goodness of this world. Now, it might, in certain cases, have lost its bearings a bit, mm -hmm. but it's there, and there's a real celebration and joy in the world that you don't find other places. Yeah. You don't. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather have them swing and hit a few and miss a few than, yeah. like, not swing at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's, something there's a reason Mardi Gras is right before Ash Wednesday, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Biggest celebration. Right. You know, it's right before this time. And that means we got to go even harder for Easter. Exactly. Yeah, so, the, qu the question I is... I know, somehow you have to... Easter has yeah. to outdo well, Mardi Gras. Easter's like crawfish, prime crawfish. That's true. That the the question is, in the pedagogy of king cakes, which one is the culmination? Mm. Chantilly. Cream cheese. <laughs> I'm a traditional... Ooh, I'm always uh -huh. about chantilly. I say the mm. heavenly donut. Oh, I've had the, hev the oh, heavenly donut. Yeah, it's a, the it donut is a king cake. Jar, it is what a is large, that? It's a giant, a giant donut, donut king cake. with this like frosting cream cheese how big is it it's the this size of big. a king cake uh, yeah. <laughs> did you yeah. eat it by yourself I'm gonna be super impressed and slightly judge <laughs> yeah that's right not entirely by myself but a large portion of it was eaten. it was my birthday cake that's why I asked for a May 8th respect was they still make king cake king they make cakes? it year they make it year round they make Christmas king cakes as well before I switch gears, I want to give the uh, the last word actually comes from today's Office of Readings. Uh, it's St. Augustine and his commentary on 1 John. And get this. This is a very famous passage of Augustine. 
The entire life of a good Christian is in fact an exercise of holy desire. You do not yet see what you long for, but the very act of desiring prepares you so that when he comes, you may see and be utterly satisfied. Suppose you're going to fill some holder or container, and you know you will be given a large amount. Then you set about stretching your sack or wineskin or whatever it is. Why? Because you know the quantity you will have to put in it, and your eyes tell you there is not enough room. By stretching it, therefore, you increase the capacity of the sack, and this is how God deals with us. Simply by making us wait, he increases our desire, which in turn enlarges the capacity of our soul, making it able to receive what is to be given to us. Which I think is fitting for our topics, not only in the fact that God makes us wait, um, but penance does the same thing, right? It's a, a way of increasing the wineskin, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a beautiful reading that the Lord gave us on this very day. That being said, let's switch gears. We've got a game, folks. Everyone is playing. Y'all ready for this? Always. Yeah. Someone was bound to do that. So this is a version of Lenten Would You Rather. Okay, so anybody who wants to chime in can chime in whenever I ask. Blood Eagle. They all tend to be... Uh, <laughs> Never Blood Eagle. No. Never. No. <laughs> they're, they're all penances in some way or form. Okay? That could be a penance. Yeah. It couldn't. That'd be death. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Okay, would you, would you rather be subjected to eternal nails on a chalkboard or eternal fork scraping the bottom of the plate? Fork scraping the bottom of the white. Because yeah. 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 at least there's forks, food forks, forks, involved. Forks, forks, forks. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely forks. Anything that touches a chalkboard immediately sends me into like shock mode and like my whole body. You must be glad they replaced all these chalkboards with whiteboards. Immensely. I was going to say, I miss yeah. writing on a chalkboard. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Did you ever have to clean uh erasers in like grade school actually that was my second year and my sophomore year of high school our geometry teacher would do that as a punishment he had yeah, this yeah, nasty yeah. old bucket of water that he put his rag of chalk in and if anybody was like um noisy or disruptive they had to go empty the bucket and put yeah. the water in it but did you do it no I no because you were the golden i bucket. was peers the morning do <laughs> <laughs> Okay, second, would you rather? (laughs) Would you rather wear a hair shirt for a year or, via Catherine of Siena, drink the pus just once? Hair shirt. Hair shirt. Pus. Pus. Drink the pus. 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 Can I do both? No, give me the pus. You want to wear the hair shirt? I want to wear the hair shirt just because I've been talking about wearing the hair shirt for like a year, I feel like. Did you just say drink shirt? Drink the hair shirt. Drink the hair shirt. Do you drink the pus just once? Yeah, just once. Just once. Still no. If you smell You're complaining about monks' beards being unsanitary in a kitchen, so I can't imagine you're going to drink pus. I'm just not a But you wear the hair. 
I don't know. That's okay. And it's it's, just, it's making your skin itch the entire time. Is it underneath my clothes or is do it, I look bad? Is it like what? I think the under the clothes. You hair shirts can be a fashion statement if you try hard is enough. Is it like beard mm-hmm. hair? Mm-hmm. Maybe it could go to during October. Whatever it is, it's itchy. I know that. Yeah, it's, like uh, it's extreme. I'm a, I'm a pus it's person. A hair shirt. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll go by myself. I'll drink Chanel the pus. Hair shirt. I'm, no, I'm going to drink the pus too. Okay, I'm just going to yes. do both. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. For the pus drinkers, please tell why. I like St. Catherine of Siena. Yeah, so I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd cut my hair too. She's a powerhouse. You know, from Catherine to Catherine. Yeah, yeah I get it. There's no worse feeling than finding hair in your own food or in other things. So really, like, yeah, like that's no a, worse I feeling. I don't agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, okay. Much worse. If maybe, I found pus in those things, I would be more alarmed. I mean, you know, more maybe, than if I found maybe hair. if I found, found pus in my food. That's right. Okay, exactly. okay. Maybe I was imagine you're biting like a Rice Krispie treat, and instead of a hair, it's pus. Nope. Yep. Absolutely lose my mind. Yeah, um, that would, hair that is disgusting. Problem. You get over some, hair. Someone six dogs. You some, just get over it. Yeah, no. So okay, here's the next one. So the background for this is uh, St. Damien of Molokai. Because no one wanted to come even close to the leper colony, whenever he needed to go to confession, a priest on a boat would come and still be about like a mile off of the shore, and Damien would have to row out there with everyone else still on the boat and he would have to yell his sins out loud to the priest in order to go to confession so would you rather yell your sins out loud in front of people or sit in the front of the church in sackcloth and ashes for a year being not allowed to participate in the liturgy yell my absolutely sins yell my sins yell my sins yell my sins yeah Ooh, what are you That's thinking okay. hunter yeah, hunters. <laughs> I'm just like I got some deep hunters stuff. Yeah. Up over there, I don't know about the. <laughs> uh, see, I don't really mind too much people staring at me in church. I've gotten over that being an altar server. I don't. So I don't mind like yeah, the yeah, awkward yeah. stares of like sitting in the front row. So they they, they know but, you're a big sinner, but they don't know but but what it is. But, but you, you, you can't be participating. Yeah. You can't participate. I know that's that's why. Like, but like, I really don't want to yell my sins. But I know I can't participate. Yeah, but if you yell your sins, you may have oh, the guy yeah. in the back of the boat that's like, "Oh, me too." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, you did what? You think they did? <laughs> Mark and me up for that one too. If yeah. anyone judges you, it's kind of on them. I guess right. I don't know. Yeah, but like, do you sit in the front of? Oh wait, are you talking about the sins or the? the sins. Yeah, if you yell your sins, sins, like okay. if anyone judges you, then it's like mm, you know. And if they're smart, they'd plug their ears so they're not bound by the seal. Yeah, I know. Dude, Ooh. whenever I go near Wait. a confessional, I'm like, really? ah. oh, yeah, you are bound by the seal. If you hear someone's confession, if you tell it, guess what? Same penalties. I did not know as that. A priest. That was canon law. Can- Trey's been yeah, telling me about people's confessions oh, for like man. months now. He Catherine, stands outside. No, he stands outside. <laughs> 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 Trey, you are removed from the body. Well, this is the last time we get to see Trey. Hi, Trey. He's okay. gonna go. Okay, next round. Would you rather join a CrossFit gym or train for a marathon? Oh, CrossFit. I don't do cardio. I'll take CrossFit all day. I have a bad heart. So, so CrossFit. CrossFit people are annoying. <laughs> they are, Ooh. but I don't do cardio. No. So cardio That's people. a hot take. You're take, right. Take You're that, right. Father Brad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Huh. Um, I'm gonna go with CrossFit. I I do CrossFit. I don't do CrossFit. 
I think. But you take it over the marathon. I would. T- uh, yeah, yeah. cardio. Do you is not do my, you just uh, train for the marathon, yeah. or do you run the marathon as well? Yeah, I mean, presumably. Okay. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. I my okay. I guess I'm from a family of runners, so like I ran cross country when I was in middle school. I feel like I could handle running, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be that bad. Like it would hurt, but I, I can't. Li- I'm so tiny. I would not be able to lift things, and I feel like that's presumably what you know. That's that's all the CrossFit is. Lifting heavy things. It's like mm. lifting things. You could become quickly. a power. It's a lot of body weight stuff. It's, it's, yeah. it's a yeah. lot. A yeah. lot of stuff. It's not yeah. just. I do okay. Cross it's yeah. Okay. Would you rather? Would you rather? <laughs> next round. Would you rather spend your Lent on top of a pillar or in a cave? Cave. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Cave. Cave. I love caves. I, if I. If you. It's not even a penance. It's not even a penance. I would want to live in a cave. Are Wait. What kind of cave? Are there goblins <laughs> at the back of this cave? Are they going to come and grab exist. me while I'm sleeping? <laughs> They do. Are there bats? <laughs> they do. I'm going with the cave because I'm scared of heights. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, okay. where's the cave, though? That's true. On top of a pillar. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in. I, do, yeah. I go for the pillar because there's a lot of creepy crawlies in caves that no. I, I don't appreciate. Yeah, but you can't go anywhere on top of the pillar. That's like, okay. like, like, if That's there's okay. like a you fly. You can get lost in the cave. Yesterday we were talking about St. Benedict's abandoning ship to the cave after... He encountered kind of like collegial educational life in Rome. Who did this? St. Benedict. Oh, Benedict. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And someone said, well, if we had more caves around here, that might happen more often. That was me. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> the church just needs to like rent some caves, yeah, we need plop caves. them around LSU, and get some hermits. Boom. Oh, I... I See? I someone just, would I show up. I think I'd you'd be up. the first one to sign up. <laughs> yeah. No, I just want to live in a cave. That's it. You see that new cave the diocese is sponsoring? I'm taking <laughs> a cave. You have to be like, Catherine, are you in there? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you hear a very faint. From the distance. Yes. <laughs> last round, last round. Would you rather get stuck eternally in the medium place or in the first iteration of the good place? When you say the first, is this like... With the Froyo and okay. Eleanor's uh, j- flying shrimp everywhere okay. and earthquakes happening and... Yeah, I'd say... Okay, I'd say the first iteration of The Good Place because it will always be interesting, right? You're always going to have challenges put in front of you. You know, it's going to like... I'm going to be tested and pushed, but, right, if you're still like in there with people who are, you know... I don't know. Cause so you'd rather have crazy things happening all the time versus a life of 80s monotony. So, yeah, because if crazy- Wait, isn't a life of 80s monotony more like a cave? So wait, ah. so wait who's, the, who's the, the girl that's stuck in the middle place? Oh, Mindy St. Clair. Mindy St. Clair. Yeah. Mindy St. Clair ruins the whole middle place. <laughs> that yeah. is the re- part of the, what, the whole point the, of that middle the, place. That is, is the, that you get a middling person. The thing that keeps me from the first iteration of the good place is that you're actively being tortured. Yeah, but but you don't really know it. The point of the yeah. middle place. Yeah, but like you kind of do. Like it's the it's the eternal, like something is off. I don't know what it is, but Isn't I'm just, just going to go with it. But you're working It's kind of like life right now. You're supposed to be in life at that point. You're supposed to be in. But like that's like the like that would be like the eternal struggle of like something's off. This is supposed to be heaven, but it's not. That uh, I'd rather just I'd rather just know I'm in the middle place and not be actively tortured. While there's like inconveniences and there's obviously some like yeah, there's obviously some like the things that they put in place to make me uncomfortable. But it's not like I'm actively being tortured. 
You know what I mean? Mm, I would go with the I would go with the the bad place because Mindy St. Clair. Place? Oh yeah, you 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 can't go to sleep with Mindy St. Clair. Yeah. Around it was just she, she just was creeps there, me she out. Weird. Yeah, yes. Derek and Mindy Sinclair just creep me out. Like their <laughs> whole relationship. This conversation is slowly creeping toward editing zone. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They are what makes Derek. the middle place bad. Like right, they're, they're the yeah. part, they're the part that makes it misery. <laughs> Well, on that note, we are going to end right here. We are The Dunces Corner. You can check us out on Facebook and Instagram at The Dunces Corner. We're at DunsePod on Twitter. And you can email us at DunsePod at gmail.com. Please let us know your thoughts. Subscribe to us and give us a review. Peace.